Well, thank you, like Aaron said, for getting up early on your Saturday morning to be here. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Logan Moore, and I've had the joy of being a member here since July of 2019. And after a few years of being here, I would consider many of you in this room my friend, which works out really well for me because I'm sure you will be gracious and charitable for the times that this baby makes me run out of breath or my sitting and standing that I'm sure will happen over the next uh, few minutes that we're together. And I'm incredibly excited, um, but also humbled to be talking about the topic of walking with God and friendship this morning, just as all of us. Um, I am an imperfect person, and therefore I've been an imperfect friend, and so it's only by God's grace that I'm able to talk with y'all on this topic um, and even be learning alongside you as I teach in the hopes of becoming more like Christ today, even in my own friendships. So something else you may not know about me is I've had the privilege of serving on staff here at UBC over the past year as the college women's coordinator, and I've served in different capacities in college ministry since 2018. So this topic is one that I've spent a lot of time thinking about and talking about with college girls. Some of y'all know that <laughs> by experience. Um, the desire to be known and loved by others, the pursuit of good community, and difficulties in friendships are ever-present realities in college. But this is not just something that's common to college students. We all have struggles in friendship and we all long for it. So to get us started as we dive in, our main idea today on your handout is going to be as friends of Christ, we exemplify the gospel in our friendships. As friends of Christ, we exemplify the gospel in our friendships. And this is going to encompass the scope of our time. So to give you an overview of our time together, we're going to take the next few minutes to trace the topic of friendship through the narrative of scripture. So in other words, we will look at the biblical theology of friendship to build out a foundational understanding of it. From there, we'll look at some specific examples in scripture, and we will close our time with practical applications before we hear from Diana and Imelda. So in broad strokes, the story of friendship in the Bible goes something like this. God created and walked with us in friendship. We walked away, but God is befriending us again through Christ. I'll say that one more time. God created and walked with us in friendship. We walked away, but God is, be is befriending us again through Christ. Now, before we really dive in, I want to give a quick caveat. It can be difficult to grasp this idea in a world where we use the word friend to describe those who we love really deeply and have known for a long time, and also those that we are connected with on our Facebook page. So is it really appropriate for us to call God our friend? As we continue through today's talk, my hope is that we will see that calling God our friend is not just punching him in the arm and calling him our buddy. No, it's a deep, reverent, and committed connection to our creator king. So let's jump to the opening pages of scripture. In the beginning of Genesis, we get our first glimpse of the triune God and his communal nature. God in himself is relational. He's the one God and three distinct and equal persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, that were relating together and fellowshipping with one another before creation. God's very nature is marked by communal love that results in perfect friendship. And it is from this overflow of relating joy in the Trinity that he creates human beings in his image 
to reflect his nature, and to be friends with him and with others. So we get to Genesis 2, and it zooms in on the creation of Adam. God formed Adam out of the dust and breathed the breath of life into him. This is a very personal and intimate way of creating. God then puts Adam in the garden and tells him to work and to keep it, and that he may eat of every tree in the garden except that of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, lest he die. There is accountability and expectation in this friendship with God. After this, God acknowledges for the first time that something is not good. Man is alone. He has no one of his kind to help him reflect God's relational love. So Eve is created and given to Adam as a wife and a friend. And it is through these two that friendships will fill the earth as they're fruitful and multiply. Friendship vertically with God and horizontally with others was perfect, free of conflict, insecurity, envy, and full of joy, delight, and companionship. But we quickly get to the fall in Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve decided that God was not a trustworthy friend, that he was holding something good out from them. They succumbed to the temptation of the serpent who told them they would be like God if they ate of the tree. Their disobedience breaks the perfect friendship they had with God and with each other. But even in their rebellion, God immediately displays his mercy in seeking them out in the garden while they were hiding themselves from him. We see expressed in Genesis 3-9 the beginning of the restorative relational pursuit of God when he calls out to Adam and Eve and says, where are you? They had committed treason against the king of the universe, their greatest friend, and yet he still seeks them out. And I think for many of us, it can be easy to be familiar with this story and to not be shocked by the fact that even in their disobedience, God still gives Adam and Eve an audience with him. He asks them questions about what had happened, not because he doesn't know the answer, but because he is merciful and he is still communicating with them. This is the beginning of the restoration process where God works to bring sinful humans back into friendship with him and to transform and redeem their friendships with one another. So immediately in the Bible, we see the effects of sin on friendships scattered throughout the pages of scripture. But thanks be to God, we're not left completely hopeless without any examples of godly human friendship in the Old Testament. So we're gonna look at one this morning just to think about that together. So David and Jonathan. With David and Jonathan, uh, we see that those who are impacted by God's love are able to love and care for one another in deep and intimate friendship. In 1 Samuel 18, Jonathan is described as becoming one in spirit with David and that he loved him as himself. They make a covenant with one another because of the deep friendship we love that they had for one another. And their friendship even goes beyond familial ties when Jonathan's father Saul was pursuing David's life, he protected David. And when Jonathan was later killed in battle, David laments his death in 2 Samuel 1:26, And he says this, I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. This is deeply intimate friendship language, and so much so that it can even make us a little uncomfortable in our modern context. But this is biblical, friendly love rooted in the love of God. We also see that God is continuing to faithfully pursue friendship with sinful humanity in the Old Testament. 
To give a few examples, in Exodus 33:11, God is described as speaking with Moses as a man speaks with his friend. In Isaiah 41:8, Abraham is described as a friend of God. God is calling people to himself who are rebellious, counting them as righteous based on their faith in him, and calling them friends. And he continues this work in history towards the ultimate restoration of friendship between God and man through a coming savior. And this restoration climaxes with Jesus, the God-man who lived the perfect life that we could not, exemplifying how to rightly relate to God and to others in perfect friendship. His sacrificial death in the place of sinful humanity satisfied the wrath of God, and his resurrection secured the ability for all those who repent from their sins and believe in him to be restored to God. We who were enemies of God in our sin can now be called friends of God through Christ. Enemies to friends. It's a beautiful picture. And not only is this friendship with God restored, but he's also restored our ability to relate to one another and befriend each other horizontally through the unifying power of the gospel. He joins his people together in a new community, the church, where the redemptive power of the gospel is put on display to a watching world. And it is this community that we eagerly await, in this community, excuse me, that we eagerly await the return of our Savior to usher in a new kingdom where we will live forever with God and with other believers in perfect friendship. So, as believers, we long for that future reality, but we also recognize that we don't have perfect relationships with one another yet. We live in what we can call an already not yet reality. Christ has already come. He's already restored us to friendship with God and unified us to one another in the gospel. But he's not yet returned to usher in that eternal kingdom that we long for. Therefore, sin still plays a role in our daily life and impacts the way that we live in friendship and the way we think about friendship. This should lead us to work to make our friendships align with what scripture says, since it is only through Christ that we can truly love one another. So we've talked so far about the why of friendship, being rooted in God's nature and his creation with us as image bearers. Now let's talk about the biblical vision or the what of friendship, which you'll see on your outline. Or to put it differently, what are some specific things the Bible has to say about friendship? First, there is no category in scripture for a believer living in friendless isolation. It's just not there. Jesus tells the Pharisees, questioning him in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, Jesus says. So we can see that the fullness of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, is rooted in the relational love of God, love for God and for others. And we see this continuing into the New Testament. John writes in 1 John 4, 7, telling his readers that love is from God and that we are to love one another. Anyone who does not love does not know God. So Christians cannot live loveless, friendless lives and be in alignment with scripture. And similarly, we cannot be those who isolate ourselves in our sin, 
or those that are content with a bunch of acquaintances who know our name and ask us how our week is going, but no true friends. Therefore, we can conclude that Christians are to be friends with one another. Yay, that's why we're all here this morning. The communal nature of many of the commandments of the New Testament helps us to understand that. So I'm going to read a few of them. In Galatians 2, we see that it tells us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Romans 12.10 instructs us to love one another with brotherly affection and to outdo one another in showing honor. Colossians 3.13 commands us to forgive one another as we have been forgiven in Christ. So these commands require us to be in fellowship with one another in churches and are only possible to live out through the unifying work of the gospel. So if all of this is true, are there some specific truths about friendship that we can learn and apply from scripture? In John 15, we get an explicit explanation of the foundation of friendship, which Miss Vicki read beautifully for us this morning. So if you all want to turn there, we're going to look um, at John 15 in a, in a little more detail. So starting in verse 12 of John 15, Jesus tells his disciples, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. So at the heart of true friendship is sacrifice. Jesus exemplifies this in the offering of his own life to secure the redemption of his friends. He sacrifices himself even though the disciples, his friends, were incredibly undeserving. They constantly misunderstood who Jesus was and what he was doing in ministry. They fell asleep when, they, when he needed them to pray for him as he was agonizing over the coming cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they would claim to follow him no matter what, and at the first sign of opposition, they would flee. And Jesus even referred to Judas as friend as he was betraying him. They were terrible friends, to say the least. But Jesus still loved them and laid his life down for them. And it's not just these specific disciples, these specific friends that can be called a friend of Jesus. No, it's anyone who repents and believes in him and thus obeys his commandments out of an abundance of love for him and what he has done. So, what does this mean for us as we desire to exemplify Christ in our friendships? As the perfect friend, Jesus models true friendship and as our perfect friend, he empowers us to be friends with others. I'll say that again really quick. As the perfect friend, Jesus models true friendship. And as our perfect friend, he empowers us to be friends with others. But even though that's true, friendships aren't always easy. I think we can all attest to that. We can have a friend who is in the trenches of a hard season financially, we may have a friend who is allowing sin to rule their life. We may have a, sin, or a friend excuse me, who's battling a really hard sickness. So how do we embody the sacrifice of Christ in these friendships? First, we have to acknowledge the ways that we can't embody it. We will never be the savior of our friends, and we can't expect our friends to be our savior. 
I think often, whether we realize it or not, we are tempted to depend on our friends when we're in need fully as if they can save us. Or if we're the one being depended upon, we can be tempted to think that we're the one who can actually fix our friends, that we can offer them the best help, that we have more to give them than what God can or what God's word can. But this is idolatry. This is putting ourselves or someone else in the place of God, and therefore it will fail us. If we try to make our friends our savior or to be the savior of our friends, we will be severely disappointed. But, so we can't embody Christ in that way, but we can live sacrificially with our time, our energy, our resources. We can be long-suffering with friends who are difficult or continually falling back into the pattern of sin. We can financially support a friend in need and not expect to be repaid. We can sacrifice our concept of our free time to comfort a friend in the depths of despair. And we can sacrifice our rights and forgive a friend who has severely wronged us. These are really difficult things, but they are a part of being friends with other sinners and having friendships in a broken world. And praise be to God that Jesus is our perfect example and our perfect friend, even when every other friendship around us may feel like it's failing. So, we've talked about the why and the what. I wish I was a teacher. This feels very teachery. Now we're going to talk about the who of friendship. Um, I'm not, but maybe Alex can tell me later if that's like a true teachery thing. Generally speaking... In talking about the who of friendship, it's my fear that I'm going to spill that, uh, we need to recognize that there is a range or spectrum of how we can categorize someone as a friend. So in part, today I want us to both raise and lower our standard of friendship. So raise, we should raise our standard in the sense that the gospel should be a present reality in all of our friendships. It should be central. And without it, we're missing a beautiful piece of the friendly relationship between Christians. But I also want us to lower our standard in the sense that you can be friends with more people than you realize because you can be friends to differing degrees of closeness with friends. So the woman that you only talk to after Bible study or after equipping class can be your friend just as much as the woman who's been your friend since you were in diapers can be your friend. Both can be called friends. So we see this modeled uh, in Jesus's own life and how he interacts with the friends around him. So we're going to think about this in the categories of the 72, the 12, and the inner three. In Luke 10, Jesus appoints and sends out 72 friends to go ahead of him in ministry and to proclaim the kingdom of God. To send out these 72, we can infer that Jesus knew them, spent time with them, had taught them, and he trusted them to go before him in ministry. But we don't really hear much else about them in scripture. Luke also chronicles the the names of the 12 disciples who Jesus chose out of the greater pool of disciples that were following him in his ministry in Luke 6, 14 through 16. We see these 12 disciples with Jesus throughout the entirety of his ministry. He talks with them, teaches them, sleeps with them, sometimes sleeps during a storm with them, (laughs) and he appears to them and commissions them after his resurrection. 
But finally, we see that even amidst these 12 that we see throughout the Gospels, Jesus had a special relationship with what we'll call the inner three, Peter, James, and John. In Mark 5.37, Jesus brings these three with him to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead, absent the rest of the 12. He doesn't permit them all to come with him. And he only took these three, Peter, James, and John, to witness his transfiguration, an incredibly intimate part of his ministry. So when we think about our friends in the church, we can feel the freedom to have different depths of relationship, and therefore we can consider many women in the body our friend. So even with this biblical understanding, why can developing friendships with other Christians often feel difficult? I think we have to, if we're honest with ourselves, it can be more difficult than it can be easy sometimes. There are seasons of life where we may have an abundance of friends. Praise God. Yet there are other times where we may feel isolated, lonely, unknown. Different life circumstances will have an impact on our capacity for friendship. And sin is still a reality in our friendships. So we will have conflict, gossip about one another, disappoint each other, speak the truth absent of love, and much more. But Jesus is acquainted with this experience of difficulty in friendship but even more deeply than we can ever imagine because he was the only truly perfect friend. So we can trust him and know that when every other friendship may feel hard or when we may feel like we don't have many good friends at all, we have the greatest friend and comfort in our Savior. I think we also need to recognize that we live in a time where it's, we have to work harder for friendship. We live in a completely different context than those of biblical times. We are more individualistic, spread out, and live in a really fast-paced world. (laughs) I think we all experience that. Uh, It's possible to go weeks, even months, without seeing a friend that lives in the same city as you just because your schedule is so busy. I know I myself have fallen prey to that, to being the busy friend. Also, our technological culture, whether we realize it completely or not, has given us the notion that we can be friends with someone while having zero physical contact or interaction with them. It's impossible in life to be married, to parent, or to have a true church only virtually, but we can often be duped into being content with maintaining friendships virtually, absent of interaction or conversation. Now, that's not to say everyone needs to rush home. I guess you don't have to rush home. You can open your phone up (laughs) and delete your Facebook page and clear your Google Calendar. But it is to call our attention to the fact that we do have to work intentionally to develop new friendships and maintain existing ones when we live in a world like this. We often, too, can have expectations and desires in friendship, but be apathetic in actually carrying those out. We like to be the one that's approached. We like to be the one that's um, invited. But how often do we do that for others? I know I can do this a lot. But we must be active and not passive if we expect our friendships to grow and to deepen. So even if our Christian friendships are flourishing, maybe that's the season of life you're in right now. I have a ton of Christian friendships, and they're all going great. But sometimes I think if we are honest with ourselves, they can look pretty similar to non-Christian friendships. In the book, Compelling Community, I don't know who got it, but it's a great book. It's a book that I used a lot to think about this talk, as well as Vaughn Roberts' book, 
really great resources, so just to pub those for you. But in Compelling Community, Mark Dever and Jamie Dunlap talk about friendship within the church in two categories. We have gospel plus and gospel revealing friendships. Gospel plus friendships are founded on the gospel plus something else. Super creative, I know. So you develop a friendship in church. You're both Christians, but you also happen to have a lot of shared interests and experiences. You're the same age, same social status, same stage of life. We will naturally develop these friendships, and these are often really sweet and good friendships for us to have. But if we evaluate and realize that all of our friendships are gospel plus friendships, what does that say about how we view the gospel? And if our friendships are secondarily or are not at all oriented around Christ, what does that say about how we view the gospel's unifying power with God and with others? And finally, if we are, again, honest with ourselves, if the gospel was removed from our friendships, how many of them would pretty much look the same? Gospel-revealing friendships, the next point on your handout, are ones that would never exist without the truth or the power of the gospel. So this is either because of the depth with which two people love and care for one another or because they have little in common. So this could look like avid Democrats and Republicans who wildly disagree on most things politically, loving each other and having a deep, true friendship and being unified in Christ despite all of the political positions that divide them. Or this could look like a college student coming here from China, joining a church, and befriending an elderly homebound member who's never left the United States. These two literally have nothing in common but the hope of the gospel and a shared love for Christ. These are the kind of friendships that the world looks at and is confused by. These are the friendships that reveal the unifying power of the gospel. So... If this is true, who we befriend has way more significance than we often realize. The world can see the gospel pictured in who we spend our time with. Friendship is not only a gift from God, it's a symbol of his grace. The beauty of Christian friendship is that the only commonality you must have is the common hope of the gospel. If you have that, you can develop deep, intimate, and meaningful friendships, even with the most unlikely people in your church. So we're going to take a minute to pause. On the back of your handout, you can flip that over, you will find a list of questions uh, that will help us evaluate our friendships. So if you were in the Unity and Diversity Equipping class, this will be familiar to you. Um, so I want us to take just a few minutes to write down 10 names of our closest friends within the church, and then to yourself, think through these evaluation questions. And to give a clarification before we jump in, I doubt that any of us have friends in all of these categories. However, this can be a tool for us to challenge ourselves in developing new friendships and pray for God's help in doing so. So go ahead and fill that out, and I will call us back together in a few minutes.
Okay. I hope that was sufficient time for y'all to fill out and think about 10 of your closest friends. And maybe it was difficult for you to even fill out 10 friends. And so I hope that as we jump into practical application here in a minute, we can think about uh, establishing new friendships. Um, and I hope that you will use this tool. This could be a great thing to think on as you leave here today and even as you go home to husbands or children or other roommates, or if you go to lunch, this could be a great way to practically talk about um, and apply some of the things that we'll talk about today. So to jump back in, so far we have focused on friendships within the church, and that's been the bulk of, will be the bulk of our time together, but Christians are also called to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples. Therefore, we must have friendships with non-believers to be obedient to Christ. Jesus himself was ridiculed by religious leaders for being a friend of sinners. Matthew, one of the 12 disciples that Jesus handpicked to follow him, was a tax collector. This was an occupation that if you held, you were seen as a traitor to the Jews. And this is not the only time we see Jesus interacting with people who weren't welcome or accepted in religious circles. Matthew 9.10 describes a scene of Jesus having dinner with sinners, tax collectors, and his disciples all at the same time. When questioned about this association, Jesus responds, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The Christian life is missing something if we never associate with non-believers if we never call a non-Christian our friend. And yes, this friendship will look different and have different expectations. You don't have the common hope of the gospel in common, but that actually doesn't mean that this relationship doesn't reveal and reflect the power of the gospel. It's one thing if you have a bunch of friends who aren't believers who have no idea that you're a Christian, but it's an act of obedience to have friends who may even think of your faith as foolish, think you're just the silly Christian. And out of love for them and for the glory of God, you don't shy away from sharing the gospel. So I hope even as we leave today, we can ask ourselves, who are our non-Christian friends? And if we don't have any, what are practical avenues in our daily life where we could develop friendships with non-believers for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of God's glory? So to close, we're going to take the next few minutes to talk about practical ways to foster Christian friendships or the how of friendship. I tried to get as many question words as possible in there. Who, what, when, how. We didn't have a win. It's always a good time to make friends. That's why there's no win. Okay. <laughs> um, alongside the picture of Jesus, our perfect friend, the Proverbs give us a lot of practical wisdom on friendships. We can be greatly helped by these words of wisdom as we evaluate our friendships. So you'll see listed in your handout, we have four Proverbs. I'm going to read through them and just give a few quick comments on each one so we can think about them together. So first, Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. We will all face times of adversity in our lives, and this is often when we need our friends the most. Friends can't save us as we've talked about already, but they can point us to the one who holds all things together and has met our greatest needs in Christ. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, 
but an enemy multiplies kisses. This shows us that in Christian friendship, it is loving for us to call out our friends in their sin and call them to repentance. And this bucks up a lot against a culture that says, if you love me, you will support and affirm me no matter what. But true loving Christian friendship doesn't let friends sin or wander for the sake of avoiding an awkward conversation or for embarrassment. Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. We are influenced by the company that we keep. We are just constantly being discipled by the world and by the things that are around us. So, are your friendships pushing you towards the word and towards Christ-likeness, or do they encourage you in sin and apathy towards God's word? Proverbs 18, 24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We see this modeled in Jonathan and David's friendship. And friends, if we are in Christ, can actually be more intimately connected to us than our own family, even friends that we've had for a short amount of time. For many of us who don't have Christian families, our friends are the ones who can best point us and advise us and encourage us to live in a way that aligns with God's word. So finally, we're going to talk about three avenues to initiate and deepen friendships in the church. You'll find those last three points in your handout. So first is linger culture. Raise your hand if you've heard that term. I'm just interested. Okay, fun. It's a silly term, I know, but it is a strong reality at UBC. So on a typical Sunday morning after the service is over, you can find people chatting for 20, 30 minutes after the service, and the chapel is going to look pretty similar in here after an evening service. When I first came to UBC, this lingering uh, was how I made a lot of my friendships. It can be really easy to want to just leave when service is over. Hunger pangs are setting in. I feel that very acutely lately. Uh, your child's nap time maybe is approaching, or maybe you just want to avoid the potential of awkward small talk. I think we've all been there. And this is true whether you're in college or whether you're in your hundreds, like my great-grandmother. Often we uh, in the college ministry, I think y'all can attest, can encourage college students to get out of their comfort zone and introduce themselves to older members of the church. And it's intimidating. But I think we can confess that it's equally intimidating to be the older one, starting a conversation with a younger person. Why would this young person care what I have to say or be interested in getting to know me? But I can attest from many conversations and experience that the young people in our church desire to be known by older women in our church. So I would encourage you in that truth. So an intentional introduction, as simple as, hi, I don't think we've met before. How long have we been at UBC? can be a great way, a uh, great doorway into a new friendship. But as a caveat, learn from my mistakes. <laughs> a few years ago, I was first trying to get out of my comfort zone and meet new people, and there was a couple sitting behind me that I had never seen in church before. I was a zealous new member determined to make gospel-revealing friendships. I had just read Compelling Community. <laughs> and so I turned around and used a similar introduction but instead of saying, hi, I'm Logan, I don't think we've met before, how long have you been at UBC? I said, is this your first time at UBC? And they informed me that they had been members for 20 years. 
So I felt a little embarrassed, but I did not die. Awkwardness does not kill us, and it ended up being a sweet interaction. So maybe just try that how long have you been at UBC rather than is this your first time to save you a little awkwardness. Um, oh, man, now I'm, like, reliving the awkwardness of it. It's okay. So even, oh, man, even spending five minutes after the service to introduce yourself to someone that you don't know or uh, chatting with someone that you haven't seen in a while can be a way to continually develop and deepen friendships over time. So next, we have discipling. If you've been around UBC for a while, you've probably heard this definition of discipling, doing intentional spiritual good to another believer. So discipling is a way that we center our friendships around the gospel. Titus 2 reminds us that older women are to teach and train younger women in the faith. So this is a command from scripture that we are to obey, but also a gift from God in developing friendships. This can look as formal as meeting with someone on a regular basis to read through God's word and pray together, or it can look as simple as encouraging someone in the hope of Christ and praying for them as they prepare for their next week at work. So practically, how do we develop these formal relationships? If we see the faith of another woman in church we would like to imitate and to learn from, it's as simple as asking them to meet up for coffee or for lunch to get to know them, they can get to know you, and seeing if they have the capacity to meet with you regularly to read God's word. If you don't know of anyone who can meet with you, or if you're desiring to meet with someone but you don't know of anyone, ask other women around you. Ask your other friends. Um, and if they don't have any suggestions for you, you can utilize church staff to give you some ideas and direction on women you can meet with. On one hand, this is really simple. But on the other hand, it can be really intimidating to approach someone who doesn't really know you and to ask them to disciple you. But if we have covenanted together in membership to help one another get to heaven, this should be an expectation and a norm around our, cult our culture of discipling, not an, an exception to the rule. So how are you discipling and being discipled each week and how is this deepening your friendships with other believers? Finally, we have hospitality. So I was happy to see so many of you raised your hand for Rosaria Butterfield's hospitality book. It's amazing. She does hospitality really well. Um, and it's a sweet part of being in the life of the body. We see examples and commands concerning hospitality scattered across the pages of Scripture. In the Old Testament, Jews were commanded to care for the foreigners among them, and they had a strong hospitality culture. In the New Testament, Jesus was hosted by Mary and Martha. He ate with sinners and believers alike. The Last Supper was hosted in a stranger's home. Paul was persuaded by Lydia to come into her home after her conversion, and hospitality is even listed in the qualifications for an elder in Titus 1.8. So hospitality is integral to the Christian life and to developing friendships. So for some of us, this comes very naturally. You're a master chef, you keep your house clean and spotless at all times, and you love facilitating conversation and activities with others. For others of us, it's really intimidating or seemingly inconvenient. You can't remember the last time you vacuumed to save your life. Do you even have a vacuum? Um, you live in a tiny apartment you don't have a dining room table, like me and my husband, 
or you can feel too much pressure around the idea of hosting others, or maybe you live somewhere in between these two examples. Either way, hospitality is commanded, but also commended in scripture. So it is for our good and for the good of others. And generally, I think it's more simple than we think. It's not about the food, the entertainment, the size or the cleanliness of the space that we live in. It's about sharing life with one another. And really, all you need for hospitality is an invitation and a conversation. I have been hosted by many of you in this room, and I can say it is always the sweetest part of my week to join in on the life of another member. Whether this is a quiet dinner with a retired couple, folding laundry alongside a young mom, or playing and winning a game of Catan in a college student apartment. Usually winning, not lately. <laughs> Courtney knows. Our excuses for not having others in our homes or our apartments is often just rooted in the fear of judgment. And so we're allowing that to keep us from participating in a sweet part of the life of the church. And even as we think about the world around us, our culture often admires authenticity but struggles with loneliness. So hospitality can be an ideal setting for evangelism as well. So even this week, who is someone that you don't know well from the church that you can invite into your home or apartment to get to know and to develop a friendship with? So much has been said over the past few minutes about friendship, why we long for it, what the foundation of it is, and how we can foster it. And there's also much more that could be said. But I hope that as we leave today, we leave with some insights and tools for how we, as friends of Christ, can exemplify the gospel in our friendships. Let's pray. God, we do praise you that though we, are, we were your enemies in our sin, that you have called us friends through Christ. We pray that uh, even as we think about our friendships within the church, that we would be those who are active, not passive, that we would seek to orient our friendships around the gospel, and that we would reveal the gospel through who we spend our time with. We pray that you would comfort us in times of loneliness or isolation in friendship, and that we would always remember when friendship is sweet, that it is a great gift from you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, Diana and Imelda are going to come up here. We're going to get some chairs and take the next few minutes just to chat about lifelong friendship. Do you think we need to move that? Do we need to move that podium? Or is it? Okay. Okay. Do what? Is this on? It is. <laughs> okay. So could y'all really quickly uh, briefly introduce yourselves and share about how you became friends and how long you've known each other? I'm Diana Page. Um, we became friends, first met at BSF. Introduce me, oh, this is Imelda McClinton. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Imelda McClinton is my friend for our uh, 42 to 43 years. Yeah. 
uh, longer than most of you have been alive. That's true. We met in um, 1978. 79 was when we really began to uh, hang out together, or chill, or whatever it is y'all call it. And um, so that's how long it's been. Uh, we, we met uh, through, BC, through Bible Study Fellowship, and um, that was early years together. And then... Well, you weren't going to UBC then. I was not. HD called me the stepchild. Because when there were things going, women's things going on, and my friends were members of UBC, and uh, I always came. So, and eventually the Lord brought uh, my family, brought Walt and Scott and I here uh, in the early 80s. But for a few years, I was not a member of UBC. Imelda McClinton and Diana's right. Uh, I want to tell you, first of all, the Lord brought me to UBC 50 years ago. And a few of you I know from back then, just a few, but uh, I still count. I, I was invited to come to UBC, and there was a women's class at that time that they were telling me about, and I came and joined this women's class, and it was wonderful. And uh, some of those women are still, well, not some of them, a whole lot of them are still my friends today, 50 years later. Mm. Uh, a lot of them have moved and all that. Some of them have moved off and come back and all, but, but we're still very close friends. And one of the reasons that we are is because uh, as part of that group, we met together regularly and prayed together. Praise God. And when you do that, you get to know people real well. <laughs> and that was, it was a bonding time for us. And uh, a lot of us were new believers in Christ. And uh, it was a time of real growth for us. It was just a real special experience. Yeah, that's wonderful. I miss that. <laughs> so what encouragement would you give to us in persevering and maintaining lifelong friendships? Well, I want to talk about that. Diana and I got together this week, and we tried to draw a timeline of our <laughs> lives. <laughs> and it became very snaky looking on the page. <laughs> but um, we've just had a lot of experiences together. We went through a time um, many years ago where some older women in the church... Um, and Diana and I cannot remember how exactly this got started. We could make something up and you wouldn't know any difference. But no. we want to tell the truth and we just cannot remember this. But um, We these, do remember that it started. There was a birthday group. It, well, I think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> we got together. We'd get together. There were to about pray. five or six of us. And we'd get together and we'd share birthdays. Um, we'd have lunch together. We'd always have a time of uh, sharing and pray together before we left. We always knew if somebody had, I mean, if they had a prayer request, boy, they were encouraged to tell us and we'd pray about it. And they were just very close friends. They encouraged us in so many ways. And these women were, uh, Diana and I were talking about this this week, these women were older than us. That's right. Um, one of the neat things for me was the prayer Praying for one another. That was new in my life and been a believer for a long time, but I'd not been part of anything like this. And it was all based, we, we thought back and we talked, you know, our whole friendship is based on the word of God. I mean, on that love that we have, that shared love for the Lord. But we would get together and we'd pray for one another and that was new. And I can remember, this is a little feather in Imelda's cap. 
Um, because I realized that Amelda and some of these other women were further along in their walk with Jesus than I was. And I wanted what they had. I wanted to be able to pray the way they could. I wanted to have that connection with the Lord that I could see in them. And so as the Lord brought me into UBC and into a closer relationship with these women, it began to develop more and more. So it was, you know, it, it is, and, and um, Logan talked about it, you know, you can see something in someone, and sometimes that's the gospel that someone sees. They don't always hear it. They don't always get it given, preached, or, or shared with them, but they see it in your life. And so in Imelda and in some of these other women who are dear, precious friends of ours, and couple have gone home to be with the Lord and others are in other places but I saw in them uh, and in these older women gosh I want that kind of relationship with the Lord I want to know his word the way they do neat thing about prayers and Logan used a couple of my scriptures so I'm not going to do those the proverb ones but <laughs> early in our relationship um, if you had a need or a prayer you know there's something was going wrong in your life one of these girls knew something. They didn't just give you human wisdom. They took you to the word and said, this is what God says about this. This is how we need to deal with this in the Lord. So that was really, um, I hope that answers some of that yeah, question. That's great. Uh, how would you say that y'all have maintained unity when differences have cropped up between you? Oh, okay, you skipped one. Oh, I skipped one? <laughs> I got something else here we want to show you is shaking because I'm not nervous. Um, <laughs> it kind of goes in. We, we kind of combined her little, which is probably why she, two at questions two and three that they sent us. Mm. And um, because how we grew together were through. Oh, I'm sorry. How we grew together <laughs> were through um, situations in our lives. I mean, we went through birthdays. We went through health birth yeah we birthed the child uh we went through health issues with my son I mean that was just a constant up and down uh, thing for for many years um we went through illnesses together and we went through illness spouses illnesses. illness yes spouses mm -hmm. illnesses um and it's here we are 40 three years later mm -hmm. that the Lord has both of us in our in a life of widowhood mm -hmm. and neither of us ever dreamed you know that's not something you think about mm -hmm. but here he has us um, not only are we in widowhood but you know there was a distance of three years but he took our husbands home just about the same time so we share that loss um, on the same days you know within a, a day or two of each other um, and so it's just, God, don't think that everything is going to be good. You know, you go through trials and you go through sufferings and you go through ups and downs. But when you have a, a friendship um, that's grounded in and based in the Lord, that's where you get your strength and your ability to get through it. So um, I think that love for one another caring for one another, whether it's in a good time or a bad time. Um, that, And there's one thing I want to share here that is about transparency. 
we could not have survived, we could not have grown or benefited, profited from a friendship if there had been no transparency. Having a true friend is someone that you can, um, I have to read this so I don't cry, but it's someone that um, is not always pretty, but it's keeping confidences and knowing. I can share this with Amelda, and I know that it's just Amelda and the Lord. There's that triunity that HD always talked about. But it's, um, you have to be transparent, and you have to uh, stay in the Word. You have to trust each other. And this is the thing. You have to be able to share when human words are not enough. That oneness that you can have with a, a sister in Christ when, um, you know, there aren't any human words. But she can, and you can't deal with it. But that friend that walks alongside you that's closer than a brother sometimes mm -hmm. and is there for adversity can bring you in back into that relationship. Um, so, I've yacked your turn. <laughs> well, uh, Diana and I have had a lot of experiences together. We've gone through a lot. Uh, one of the things that you touched on, Logan, was hospitality. And one of the things that these older women did with us that we did with them was we um, had luncheons. We had, and we had invited, this was one, I think one of the most successful things that we did in our church back. And this was, oh, 25 years ago, maybe. 20, 25. Um, we decided that we, uh, there were a lot of younger people, or other people, other people that we didn't know. Mm -hmm. So we just planned luncheons and Three of us would cook, and we would just invite like five or six people, mm -hmm. and maybe get three or four, you know. <laughs> but I mean, they loved it. That wasn't the reason, but they just had conflicts. But when we just got together and we ate lunch, and we um, shared together our testimony, how we'd come to know the Lord, but then invariably we shared challenges too. And it was the sweetest time because, we, and we tried to just um, reach out to people that the Lord just brought on our hearts. So it was a really special time together. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it was those periphery friends, you know, the ones you see and you say hi to, but you don't really know yeah. that well, you know. And so that, um, it, it was sweet. That was a real special time. Mm -hmm. Life intervened. I'm not sure what happened that we don't do that anymore, but it did. Yeah, that kind of feeds into our next question. So how do you navigate lifelong friendships with new friendships? So being close friends, but not being isolated or exclusive. Diana and I both have other, a lot of other really close friends right here at UBC. Mm -hmm. And so we don't even talk together every day. But, you know, I tell you what, I, this is just an example, Diana. I, I was thinking about this and thinking this week what Diana's friendship means to me. Um, several years ago, I was going through a time of depression, and I just, you know how sometimes when you're going through something like that, you just so badly want to reach out and touch another person? And I could call Diana anytime, and she would just pray with me right there mm -hmm. on the spot. One thing I know about Diana is Diana loves to study the Word. She's absolutely committed to studying the Word. She loves precept Bible studies. We both do. We love to know how to dig into the Word. And we remind each other 
of the things that we know. We remind each other, okay, how can we praise the Lord in this circumstance? <laughs> Crawl out from under that bed and praise the Lord. You know, I mean, we just, it, it's a good reminder to each other. We just are going to prod each other on to follow and believe and be obedient. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Do you have any thoughts on maintaining, oh, excuse me, navigating lifelong friendships with new friendships coming along? Well, I think that one of the things is knowing, um, kind of being there, knowing their history um, that kind of connects you. But as Imelda said, we've got right here in this church and outside of the church, it's really, here's an interesting thing. Lord, just pop this in. I have a friend in Conway that's just, uh, they're, they're just like, it's a, I'm an only. And so God has blessed me with so many really good friends who um, fill that sibling uh, thing that people with siblings have. Well, <laughs> through my friend, Meld has a friend who used to be up here that's now in Conway. So it's our, our circle of close friends <laughs> spreads out, spreads out <laughs> into other friends. You know, it's just, I mean, even though they're not really close friends of ours, we, there's still that friendship that is there. And um, I think Mel and I were thinking about this, and, you know, even though we're, um, sometimes we're really, really close. Other times we don't see each other that often, but we take road trips together. I mean, we have had some, <laughs> I wish we had the time to tell you about some funny, funny things, because we have really experienced them. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we're not in the same Sunday school class. Yep. We're not in the same, well, even though we both do precept, and right now we're studying the same book, we're not in the same precept class. Mm-hmm. So we have that periphery of friends that, um, you know, but it's amazing how, or to me it's amazing, how God has crossed over friendships through us, I mean, uh, through other people. I'm not saying that well, but anyway. I don't think you included that our two friends in Conway know each other. Yeah, that's the hoot, is that it's our such friends. A circle. Yeah, I mean, our friends and mine and hers, and I heard them talking, I said, wait a minute, who are you talking about here? You know, so it's really, really quite interesting. And we have developed um, some peripheral friendships through um, people that my friends are her friends, and now they've extended to a third set of friends. So it's really good. Um, there was a question there about differences. Yeah. yeah. Maintain unity when differences between you happen. Right. How mm-hmm. do you maintain a friendship when everything's different? I, y'all, I probably spent more time on that question because I tried to come up with differences. <laughs> I tried to come up with times that I've been, that Amelda and I, you know, and I thought, so I was real quiet and I asked her. And I said, Amelda, she said, differences? I don't know any differences. I mean, honestly. Diana, that probably means we're not very diverse. That must be it. (laughs) We we must be so much alike that whatever it is, we just go along with the other one. Because I really, truly could not think of differences. But I did think of one um, example that I think Satan could have used as a wedge. Uh, At one point in time, I was pretty much housebound for uh, several years. And there are some women, a couple sitting here in this room, that ministered to me during those years. Um, 
But one day, Imelda, I mean, I'm talking, not, I could, if I went somewhere, somebody had to pick me up. I couldn't drive. I mean, I was just, I had trouble getting up and down the stairs. It was a mess. Anyway, um, Imelda came over to see me one day, which was not unusual, but she said to me, and this goes back to that transparency that I was talking about a little bit earlier. She said to me, Diana, I, I've been thinking about this, and um, if I have not been the kind of friend to you during, your, during this time that I should have been, I want you to forgive me because I don't mean, you know, and I'm thinking, what are you talking about, you know? But it is a thing. Because of depression, because of physical illness, and you are separated from the group, I mean, their lives went on. She continued doing all the things she had done. I mean, we're talking a couple of years here. And I was housebound. And I could have allowed that difference um, to, to do, but Satan used, I mean, was going to use it to drive a wedge. And so that's something I would encourage you when you're thinking about differences. Is it really a difference that you all have? Or is it something that Satan can use to put a wedge in a friendship? Because sometimes we allow what we think of as differences to you know, grow, to manifest themselves, when it's really not a difference between you all at all. But her love for me and wanting to know, wanting me to know that, you know, she was there. And if she wasn't doing what I thought she ought to be doing something, she was sorry. And she really didn't want that to be. So I think that that's another thing about friendship is being willing to say, hey, I may not, I may not have been there when you needed me. Please forgive me, you know, because um, we're all human. And even though we walk with God and um, we love his word and we want to be what he wants us to be, we sometimes we, we aren't, you know. And um, I'm sure I have, <laughs> at times I've probably let her down when I didn't mean to. But, you know, it just, it happens. But I do wish we had time to talk about road trips because Amelda and I have just, <laughs> yeah. oh, my, we have gotten into some real, uh, real interesting situations. I hope I... Diana, I hope that when you were sick, I did more than come over she and did. ask you to oh, yeah. Listen, I hope Ms. I brought you some meals. She did. She, f <laughs> she fed Walt a lot. Um, you know, she's, I mean, she's, now this is one thing about Melda. That girl, she's the best um, meal deliverer, cooker, whenever you need somebody, that's Melda. She's always there with, you know, she's so good about that. And yes, she has fed me many, many times. How I returned that was in a need when... I told you we birthed a baby. Well, that was Christopher. I, I had one child, and I kept hoping. I thought, okay, Melvin and I are the same age. Maybe I'll get another one. She got Christopher. Well, I didn't get the other one, but she did share Christopher with me. <laughs> and I got to keep him and take him to his violin lessons because Imelda was uh, needed with David. And um, so, you know, I got to be a little second mom to Christopher. And so that's, I guess that's, that was how I filled in. I don't do meals very well. Yeah, that's and awful. I love to cook, so I don't know what the deal is. Yeah. Christopher is 39 years old, but Diana was right there at the hospital. I was when there he was when he was born. I was yeah. right there waiting. <laughs> that's helpful because the differences may not look like we're fighting about a disagreement, but our stages of life are different. Right. And so then how do we maintain those friendships? That's really mm -hmm. insightful. The last question is, how has your friendship spurred you on in your walk with Christ? You all have talked a lot about that. Mm. So just as we have maybe three or four more minutes before we wrap up. Any other practical wisdom that you would share with us 
just about your friendships that you well, have Well, it's gotten. great that we're doing the same Bible study. Diana's mm -hmm. group is a couple of weeks ahead of ours, but we're studying James. So we've got this focus on James, and it's so good to be able to be in a study with a, with a dear friend because you can just remind yourself, okay, what are we, you know, how about this? And when you share life experiences, then, well, what did you think about? Oh, how are you counting it all, Joy? You know, it's just, it's just a challenge. We're just challenging each other all the time with the Word. Yeah, and I think time is a way, you know, that's one thing that um, we treasure. Oh, gosh, I don't have time for that. I really can't do that today. I really, and the friendship and the uh, a relationship and the need or the care or whatever for a friend needs to supersede that. I think being spending time, and we have through the years spent so much time with one another uh, in the Word, being in the Word, and we've got a history together. I mean, you know, we met, our, um, our kids were young, and um, we had that, we had the study of the Word, and, and those social things that we did, having the women, we just, we, you build a history, but the only way you build that history is if you're willing to spend time. Yeah. And so There's so I much we don't have to explain to each yeah, other. Yeah, we don't have to explain things. I, I mean, want you to pray know. about this, Diana. Right. This I'm, week, this week, I when Diana came over, we were talking about our timeline and all. I said, Diana, I want you to help me to think through something. And I just told her something that I was thinking about that I really felt was on my heart. I just didn't know exactly which avenue to take. And we talked about it, and, and Diana shared with me what she would do. I mean, it was just so valuable. And I cannot tell you how many times Diana said, and we, we've said it to each like other, each even other. going down the road. Okay, let's just pray about this right now. Mm -hmm. And the one that's not driving <laughs> is the one to pray. Uh -huh. Sometimes it's Sometimes the driver. Sometimes the driver. Yeah. With open well, eyes. well yeah. I can't keep Yeah, we don't have to close our eyes. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. It's been so. such a special blessing. It really yeah. is. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Well, thank you all so much for sharing with us. I hope that you all have tucked away some nuggets of wisdom. Okay, so. one thing. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I told Vicki that she couldn't go on too long because uh, Melda and I were talking and we like to talk. But there's one thing I do hope. I mean, from our perspective, with us talking and working through this this last week and being able to laugh and share and talk and remember old things that we hadn't thought about in years, I hope that you that this gives encourages you in your friendships. I mean, I really, really do because in a world that's as full of chaos as ours is today, friendships and people are really important. And I hope that seeing these two crazy ladies up here that are, like I said, we've been friends longer than most of y'all have been alive, um, you know, that this will encourage you in that and to see that our friendship started with the love of the Lord has grown through the years with the study of God's word and staying in that word, being confident in that word and being obedient to that word. Um, and so that's, you know, it's, I, I love this woman with all my heart, but it's because the Lord placed us together and bonded us together and we have stayed true to that and to the word and what it says. So I really want you to see this, not just as two ladies up here that have a lot of fun, which we do, but as two ladies who love the Lord and have made him the center of their um, friendship. Yeah. I don't know a better way to end, so thank you all. <laughs>